Welcome to another episode of the DVO Show, and thanks for tuning in. Appreciate you guys. Uh, I just finished the Super Bowl. I hope you guys watched it and enjoyed the game. I I do love football, and sometimes it's nice to be reminded because I get so busy, and then on a Sunday like today, I get, I'm able to just kind of kick back and relax and, and watch it. So I don't know if you guys had any treats during your Super Bowl. We kept it pretty simple. We just stayed at home, me, my wife, and our little one. We stayed at home today, and uh, I made some homemade guacamole, uh, made some little bit of chili guacamole nachos. It was pretty good, and just relax and enjoy the game. I'll give you guys a little secret to how I make my guacamole. So I use the molcajete. I don't know if you guys know what that is, but it's this big stone bowl. And then they have this, oh gosh, I, I wish I knew it was like a handle. It's like a pound stone, like it's... It's also made out of, I don't even know what it's made out of, to be honest with you. But this thing's pretty heavy, and you kind of smash the ingredients. I mean, you can make, you know, people put seeds and grains in this and and pound it into, like, flour, basically. But what I do is I mince up some garlic, uh, also chop up some cilantro, throw in some lime, some sea salt, uh, and some red onion, chop that up as well, and I just kind of, I just kind of pound it. Just go to town on it, just smashing it all up. When that's all kind of pounded down, I'll cut up some avocados, throw those in there, and and then I just kind of start pounding on those as well. I like my guac a little on the chunky side, so that's how I make mine. So I just kind of pound it up, so it's kind of all broken up, a little chunky. I'll dice in some tomatoes, throw those in, just mix it. I don't want to smash the tomatoes because that's kind of gross uh, i like the the tomatoes kind of uh full like after i dice them throw them in put a little bit more lime in it whip it all up and devour it that's how i make my guacamole and if you got a good recipe for guac i love to hear it i'm a big fan of avocado oh here's a little secret too throw in some of those avocado pits in there it just it just kind of prevents it from oxidizing so fast. So if you've ever seen guacamole or avocados and they're exposed to the air, they oxidize. They start turning a little brownish color. And that's what that does. So the, the pits kind of help prevent that a little bit. That's what I've been told. It seems to work. I continue to do it. <laughs> Let me know, too, if that's uh, an urban legend. If that's really an old wives' tale, it really doesn't work. Let me know as well. But anyway, back to the game. It was fun. I was cheering for the Rams. Uh, over the Bengals, I mean, it was cool to see the Bengals make it to the Super Bowl. But uh, my wife and I, we have season tickets to the University of Utah football games. And they had three Utes players on the Rams team. And so I was cheering for them, especially one player in particular, Eric Weddle. I remember watching Eric Weddle when he played here at the University of Utah. He was an amazing defensive player. And then when he got drafted by the San Diego Chargers, I was excited because I am a Chargers fan. I even have a Chargers Weddle jersey. So I was super excited about that. And, you know, he, he I think he played great when he played in San Diego. He had some problems with the with the executive staff. He went to the Baltimore Ravens uh, for one or two seasons. They went to the L.A. Rams for one or two seasons. He's been retired for a couple years, actually. He's been kind of just, you know, enjoying life. And uh, I, I, apparently the Rams had a few players that were injured, so they called Eric Weddle up and said, can you come play in the NFC Championship game? He came off the couch, went down, played, and he led the team in tackles. 
Can you imagine that? He was laid up, not laid up, but he was he was taking it off. He's been off for a couple seasons, comes back and leads the team in tackles. Then goes to the Super Bowl, makes a big hit, injures his shoulder. He has to go. He, I mean, I'm sure he had surgery already. Um, but but uh, or he's going to be having surgery. But he's getting surgery on his sh- on his shoulder. He just he played through it. He was the he was the starting player, and he had been gone for two seasons from the NFL. He came back. Um, I don't know where his stats were uh, for the Super Bowl. But I'm sure he he did pretty good because I was I was keeping my eye on him and so so I'm sure he did I'm sure he did really well, um, but you know I'm looking at the score like the box score of what happened, the first quarter, the Rams are leading seven to three, the second quarter it ends the Rams are up thirteen to ten so they go into halftime, the Rams with a, only a three point lead, they come back in the third quarter. Uh, after halftime, and I don't know what the Bengals coaches said in that locker room, but they got fired up. They scored 10 points, um, making the score at the end of the third, 13 to 20. All right, so it's 13 to 20. Cincinnati Bengals are up by seven. Um, I do my math right here. 16 to 20. I apologize. At the end of the third, it's it's 16 to 20. The Bengals are up by four. The fourth quarter, nothing's really happening until the very end. The Rams march down the field. They score towards the end, putting them up by three points and winning the Super Bowl. All right. Now, what's my topic this week? It's never give up, it's never quit. And there's two stories here. There's the Eric Weddle story and there's the Rams story. All right. Now the Bengals didn't quit. You know, they went they they were down in the halftime only by 3. They started rallying back in the third and like I said in the fourth quarter, not much happened until like the last few minutes of the fourth quarter. So the Bengals were in it. The Rams also they were look they was looking close. You know, they are down going into the fourth quarter. They're down. They're down by 4 points. Nothing's happening almost the whole entire quarter. And, you know, you you might think there's not a chance. In fact, my wife said, I don't think there's a chance, honey. I, th- I think the Bengals got this. You know, they're kind of, their, de- their defense is playing pretty decent where they're stopping the Rams. But Matt Stafford and the team, they, they just rallied and they just brought the team down and they scored in the last few minutes and they won the Super Bowl. And they didn't quit. You know, they knew they were down. They knew it was a few minutes left. But you know what? That's what they've been practicing. They've been practicing these two-minute drills. These two-minute drills in football are basically saying there's two minutes on the clock. You got to score, and you got to be um, precise. You know, you have you have to time this because there's the clock. The clock can and cannot be in your favor because once the clock runs out at the fourth quarter, the game is over. And so you have to use that to your benefit to make basically what they did is they scored with just not much left over for the Bengals to do much with. That's what they did. They they were watching that clock. They were being uh, meticulous about it. Like, like how are they going to do it? For example, they'll throw passes and the players will catch the ball on the outside of the field so they can hurry and run out of bounds. You know, so that way the clock stops when they run out of bounds. So again, they were just being very precise about how they were they were managing this clock. But they've been practicing this, right? This this is not new to them. They practice this 
every day probably in practice about these two-minute drills, scoring, coming down, controlling the clock, and coming down to the end. And they just had to have a belief like, hey, we got to play our best. We can't give up. We have to play our best. Catch those balls. Throw those balls. Make those blocks. It's important that everyone has a role and follows that role. And then you know, I'm so happy to see Eric Weddle. Again, he's been retired for two seasons, hanging out with family, doing you know whatever he's doing. They call him up, and he's like, where's my helmet? Where's my pads? I'm coming on the field. And he won a Super Bowl ring. I'm so happy for him. You know, just, again, as a fan of my teams and of the person, I even bought, I even have his book. I even have Eric Weddle's book. As a fan, so happy to see him with a Super Bowl ring. Now, I know a lot of people are going to hate on it and say, hey, you just came back for the last two games. You, where were you all season? I get that. <laughs> I understand where they're coming from. However, my feeling is, I'm pretty sure if Eric Weddle was on the team the entire season, it would be it'd have the same turnout. I'm sh- I don't see how he would deter the team from doing. He's a pro bowler. He's you know he's a great player, and I don't see him deterring the team from from being worse. I I only see him if he was on the team the entire season, just helping the team get better. To be honest. So I'm super happy to talk to to see that happen and talk about this episode about how you always need to be prepared. You know, Eric Weddle, I'm very sure, was not just eating ice cream every day during his retirement because he looks in great shape. In fact, I've seen him come here because he lives in San Diego now. I've seen him fly down here to Utah. He was at some of the football games. He's been at some of the basketball games. He looks in great shape. That means he's still working out. He's still prepared. I don't think he was thinking, I got to keep working out because they might call me to come back and play at in the playoffs. I'm pretty sure that's not what was going through his mind, but it definitely worked out in his favor because he was ready to play. He didn't look winded. He didn't look tired. Yes, he got hurt, but he continued to play. They just kind of wrapped it up, and he went out there and kept playing. My man. So super, super excited to see that. But, you know, again, he was prepared. He, he, he was just prepared. He, he didn't stop. He didn't quit. The whole team didn't quit. And sometimes you have to have that fight in you. You have to be ready. Here's an example. Uh, one of my businesses is a finance firm. And I always thought, I, I was talking with my mentor, and I always thought, what would it take? What amount of money like a role, let's just talk about investments, for example. If I were to invest someone's money and what amount would it have to be that I would make a million dollars from this one transaction? How much money do I need to invest? So for example, if a client came to me and said, hey, Derek, hey, DVO, I've got some money, I need to invest it. If I do that for them, I make I make a commission off of that, all right? So I thought, how much money do I need to invest for someone to make a million-dollar commission? So I know you might be thinking, hey, that's, that's really selfish of you, DVO, to think about yourself and how you want to make a million dollars. Hey, I get that. However, that wasn't my point. 
sure, I would like to make a million dollars off of one transaction. However, let me break this down for you. So my mentor, Rafa, we sat down and we were doing the math. We're like, okay, at this stage of where, where you're at and you know how much you'd make from this transaction, we kind of estimated that I would need to have a $40 million investment. So again, what how this plays out is if someone came to me, hey, hey, great example. Let's say Eric Weddle came to me and says, DVO, man, you're such a good, you're such a great supporter for me. I appreciate all you do. Uh, I know you do uh, finance, and I want you to help me with my money management. I have forty million dollars ready to invest right now, just sitting in the bank. How do I make that grow? And if I helped him do that. I would make a million dollar commission from that. Okay, let's keep breaking this down. I prepared myself for this because if someone is going to entrust with me $40 million, I better know what the hell I'm talking about. I better know what the hell I'm doing. So me doing this analyzation caused me to be prepared. So I started really studying investments. I started really studying the funds that are available to me. I started really studying the business of money and investment and finance. Okay, that's what it caused me to do. So if, for example, Eric Whittle came to me and said, hey, DVO, I've got 40 million, I would be able to say, no problem. Let me ask you some questions. Let me really know what your goal is with this money. And with your answers, I will guide you to the correct investment vehicles, to the correct funds that best fit what your needs are, what your wants are. Me analyzing this with my mentor caused me to be a better finance expert because it put me in that position to really dive deep to really understand what I was able to offer. And so if the moment, the opportunity ever arose where someone had the money to invest with me, I could say, no problem, I'll be happy to help you. I know exactly what we need to do. Now, wouldn't a client want to hear that from their investment professional? I bet I, I would love to hear that if someone said, I know exactly what where to put your money based on what you told me, what you want, what your goals are. Right. That's what it made me do. That's what being prepared is all about. Now, I'm still waiting for that moment for someone to say, hey, DVO, I've got 40 million ready to invest. But that's OK if it doesn't happen. You know why? Because I'm still serving my clients. Great. I still know the right places to put them in because I can just put I can just invest their money one time and get a million dollars and be gone. Put my hands up. Hey, I'm done. Hey, thanks for your business. Hope everything works out okay. I could be the person that does that. But no, my professionalism, my name is on the line. That's important to me. That causes me to be better. That causes me to better serve my clients. And so I don't have to worry about them saying, "Hey, DVO, what happened with my money? It's all gone." I don't have to worry about that because I have prepared and I have done my due diligence and I'm still in the game. I'm still listening and, and, and getting information about all the funds and about the investment world still. 
So that's what I'm talking to you guys about is being prepared. So whatever line of business you're in, think of the top. Think of what was what's one of the best scenarios that could happen to you. Maybe it's a promotion. Hey, I want a promotion. I want you know, I want the promotion. So what does that mean? Does that mean somebody above you has to maybe quit or get laid off? You know, who knows? But my point is, are you ready when the opportunity arrives? That's what I'm talking about. All right? It's about not quitting. Preparation. Being prepared. Thinking above and beyond. Thinking outside the box. So again, look at where you're at. And where do you want to be? For example, for Eric Weddle, he wanted to be a Super Bowl champion. So he's... He wasn't thinking, but he he was still ready. He was still prepared. So when that time came, the opportunity arose, he could take advantage of it. All right? So that's what I want you guys to be thinking about. Where is it that you want to be in your career, in your business? What's the, what? Where do you want to be at? What would need to happen for you to get that position? And are you prepared for that? Are you reading books? All right? Do you want to be the CEO of the company? Are you reading leadership books? Are you trying to be the best leader? Are you building relationships with all of the, the other managers and, and team members? Right? What do you need to do to put yourself in that position so when the opportunity arises, you are ready to step up to the plate? All right. This week's Entrepreneur Spotlight and is based off of the Super Bowl halftime show. This person is Andre Young. You might know him as Dr. Dre. All right. I don't know if you saw the halftime show. I grew up in the 80s and 90s. I loved the halftime show. It was very nostalgic for me. In fact, I love every halftime show, to be honest with you. I might not be the biggest fan of the of the artist producing or performing, but I love everything about it. I'm not a hater, though. A lot of people are haters. <laughs> so, Andre Young, Dr. Dre, was born on February 18th, 1965 in Compton, California. He did, however, come from a musical background. Both of his parents were singers. After his parents divorced, uh, Dre lived with his mother in Compton, where he graduated from high school in 1983. Although he wasn't the most interested in academics, he really wanted to put his focus in music. Uh, in 84, a year after he graduated, uh, for Christmas, he got a music mixer and basically turned his home into a music studio. He joined the World Class Wrecking Crew. I don't know if you guys ever heard of them. I'm a big fan of the World Class Wrecking Crew. Uh, they performed in nightclubs, and that's where he got the name Dr. Dre. All right. In 91, 1991, he teamed up with Suge Knight and they co-founded the empire known as Death Row Records. Again, this was very nostalgic for me doing this because I was a huge fan of Death Row. Dre, Snoop, Tupac, big fan of that. Dr. Dre produced his first solo al album under Death Row in 92 and it made him one of the best-selling hip-hop artists of 93. Uh, in 93, he actually produced Snoop's, Snoop Doggy Dog was his name at the time, his first album. Uh, in 96, Dr. Dre left Death Row Records and created his own label, 
Aftermath Entertainment. Aftermath, um, you know, he put he put out the Steel DRE, and then in '98 he signed probably his biggest artist, Eminem. Now again, I was a big hip hop head. I I had the Source magazine. If you're a hip hop head, you know what I'm talking about. And I remember advertisements for Eminem way before his album came out. Like they were they were hyping it up, and you know as you guys know it didn't didn't disappoint. Uh, Dre released his second solo solo album in '99. Uh, in 2002, Dr. Dre signed 50 Cent to Aftermath. Um, During during his rap career, he produced records for Tupac, Snoop, Kendrick Lamar, Eminem, 50 Cent. Uh, he won six Grammy Awards in total. So he went from producer to rapper to entrepreneur, uh, record label owner. And then he went to the, the electronic world. All right. In 2008... He founded Beats, Beats Electronics, or Beats by Dr. Dre, Beats by Dre. You, you've, you've heard it. You've seen it. If you haven't, I don't know where you've been. Um, they make great products. I have quite a few Beats myself. I love them. I don't know if you guys knew this, but in 2014, Apple purchased Beats. So now, if you want to buy Beats, you need to go to the Apple website to do so. Apple bought it for $3 billion. This made Dr. Dre's net worth close to a billion dollars. And at the time, I think it was making him one of the richest rap stars at the time. I don't think he is any longer. But I think at this moment, when, when Apple bought the bought, bought Beats, it made him one of the richest rappers. Uh, like I said, close to a billion dollar net worth. And that's just a little spotlight on Andre Young, Dr. Dre, and his entrepreneurial path from rapper to producer to record owner and into the beat founder in the electronics world. Pretty cool. Well, you guys, thanks again for listening or watching the DVO show. Have a great one. Bye.